welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey everybody, welcome back to a Knock On Podcast, and um, I've got my buddy EJ with me, so you don't have to get so close to the mic, unless you're still tired. No, I need to lean over, it's a little early, <laughs> after hunting for six days in a row, getting up at four, 3.45, this is good. Okay, well, I'm going to back this mic up. <laughs> so EJ drew an Iowa tag, and he hunted... Um, kind of over towards Bill Winky. Um and you had a pretty sweet hunt, sounds like. Yeah, it was um uh highly anticipated. We waited um we had five points, uh reason being when we could have drawn with two, you had that EHD issue. Yeah, EHD killed a lot of deer in this area. Yeah, so we wanted to um to get the full Iowa experience. This has been our second or third time drawing the tag. We knew it would probably be in our best interest to wait until the herd re, re, um, repopulated and, and started to make a comeback. So we felt like this would be a good year, and unfortunately it was good from a numbers perspective. The weather could have been a tad bit better, um, but it was awesome watching Mother Nature do her thing with the way the deer were communicating. I saw snort wheezing like crazy, grunting was unreal. They were just moving great in the morning and in the evening. Um, it seemed like where we were, they were on ridges checking in the morning and then down on food, trying to ambush the does as the week progressed in the, in the evening time. So yep. it was just, they were responding to, to, uh, rattling very well, grunting. I didn't do very good with the can, but everything else <laughs> seemed to be doing. I had every contraption and gadget you could possibly have. Like you and I were talking last night. It's amazing how heavy our packs are. Well, mine's not heavy with go-go gadget cans. <laughs> mine's heavy with... Um, well, I did a live feed from my tree. Um, for those of you listening, I did a live feed from my tree, and I actually posted... You can either go to the Knock On TV Facebook page and find that live feed that I did, or I did post it on the Knock On Archery YouTube channel. And um, it is... Ah, stop. I'm trying to backed out here it's um let me try to find the name for you so you can look at it if you want to it's pretty much john dudley via fb live talking whitetail stand setups so yeah i pretty much gave you 45 minutes up in my tree with me showed you my pat how i pack how i set up my whole stand to self-film talked about my equipment um all that stuff is pretty pretty cool i mean i'd my my felt outfitter bike was at the base of my tree there's um some does that come downwind and i had my ozonics going i love that thing now i think i got a bad one the first one i got the very first one i got i felt like it didn't do any good and then i used um our me and ej's buddy eric gudgel down in oklahoma actually Gudge and Jimmy and Wesley, 
It's a pretty cool group of dudes. Scott Lemming. Scott shot a really good buck. Gud shot a really yep. good buck this yep. last week. This is my favorite week of the year. You shot favorite a good week. buck. I'm the I'm like the crappy hunter of the group here. I got yeah, to my game. But with what you've shot early, I don't think anyone's feeling sorry for you. I don't know. I might talk <laughs> someone into feeling sorry for me. <laughs> I'm not yet. <laughs> well, um, we'll get into some cool subjects as soon as your brain wakes up. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm feeling uh, starting to feel better. It was a little bit of a shock to my system to get a knock on my door this morning, but it's well, all good. It's yeah, a good time so, of year. So EJ stayed the night, and um, see that? I'm getting ready to crack into my TPC pack for the morning. We'll, we'll tell you guys what these are. E, I got EJ on them, and you, you told me it was like game changer for you this last week. Yeah, I, uh, I timed it on that 15-day pack. Where I did the morning and the evening just to make sure I wouldn't get sick from getting so run down. Yeah. Being out in the tree all day, I didn't come in. We came in only to switch for wind changes. Uh, other than that, we were in the stands all day. We were going to take advantage of every opportunity. It was it was hard mentally and physically to get prepared when I haven't been doing that much this year to sit for six and a half days in a row. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It it's a It's a mental grind, but once... I don't know. It's like anything else in life. Once you've done it a few days, you just your body's like, okay, I know what I'm here for. I I feel like that anyway. I but I also tell myself the whole year, once once like I normally pick a day and you know just based off maybe moon phase and stuff, whatever day that is, then it's it's pretty much around the clock. This year, I started a little bit later for a couple reasons. One, I got lucky on my very first evening sit. I got the deer that I pretty much, you know, was thinking I was going to be hunting the whole season. Came running in after two hours of hunting, which is just, that doesn't ever really happen. And then um, Rogan was coming, and I knew Joe was coming, so... Um, the different farms and stuff that I got permission at and that I wanted to keep everything really fresh. It makes a big difference, people. If you're if you're trying to shoot mature deer, it makes a world of difference. Um, because I can I can tell a difference just on my spots because Joe and I probably covered I would say we covered maybe two miles, at least two miles of different farms. Um, different little places that we were hunting. Um, sometimes the parcels are small. Sometimes they were big. But um, just going in and coming out, um, those deer, they they know when that happens. And I and I was actually um, texting Lee Lukoski, um the other day from the tree stand, and we were talking about a few things. We're both we're both. Um, hunting some deer that are that are very very smart and he was just telling me as well he said that he's noticed deer that have actually come out and known where someone is crossed like up to two and a half days after they actually did it he said you know they know those big bucks know you're there it's just a matter of whether they're they're somewhat tolerable to it um and I just feel like if you want to really shoot a mature deer, well, one, you either need to be hunting this time of year where the deer just, they're on random. They can be anywhere at any time. And, you know, yesterday I was sitting there second guessing 
where I was hunting and where my location was and everything. But the reality is, um, well, I pulled one camera card and I got a picture of Joe Rogan's buck two farms away <laughs> from where we shot it. Uh-huh. Two farms, well, actually five far, five total farms away. It was almost three miles. Um, and it was one day before we shot it. So you, you don't know where these deer are going to be, and it's extremely tough to shoot big deer, but the one thing that is a common denominator is you have to be, you know, I feel like, I do less damage going in for the day because I'm. It's only half as much. Um, it's kind of half as much sign or scent to the deer that you've been there, and always, you know. Right now, I my my game warden was actually. I've got I've got several different farms. You've been here, but I've got several different farms that I can hunt. And my game warden actually called me and said, I'm looking at a really big deer over on one of my other, you know, another place where he knows I can hunt. And I said, well, and he's like, you need to get over here. There's like a hot doe. There's like a ton of chasing. They're just keep going in and out of this timber. Just get in there. And I said, the wind's wrong, dude. I mean, I was sitting two miles away because the wind was right. And I didn't see that much, but I also know that I didn't booger up that buck. If that buck's over there and there's multiple does, when the wind's right, I can move and I can, you know. Another thing, too, is you don't help your neighbors out. A lot of the, I think several times, deer I've shot, they've been, they haven't been my local deer um, or deer that I'm aware of. They've been deer that eventually, once I shoot them and word gets out that I shoot them, all these neighbors start saying, oh, I had a ton of pictures of that deer. He was always on me. And it just so happens that those deer, I end up shooting a deer a few days after they've been hunting. Yeah. And that's just how it works out. So this is like an important tip. If you're a hunter listening to this, and we'll get in, if you're a target archer listening and you're getting bored already talking hunting, then just got to be patient with this because we'll talk about some other stuff. Um do you find though, John? For me, it was um, it's unique coming here because I, it's almost like the pressure's off because I have six and a half days with someone I hope did the due diligence. You know, when you use an outfitter, I hope was doing enough due diligence that I wasn't. It's not like home where I feel like I'm targeting a specific deer that I've been watching for a year, getting ready. Here, I'm looking for any mature buck that when he gets into my vision. I'm like, that's a beautiful animal. He's mature. He's old. He's just beautiful looking. If I get the opportunity, I'm going to harvest that. So for me, it's almost less pressure being on something like this than than being on my own place where I know there's one animal that I really would really like to take home. I don't know if that's the same for you. Are you hunting more just one animal or a mature animal? Well, it depends. It really depends. I would have been hunting that one animal if I wouldn't have shot that six by six. Yeah, I, that's my mind would have been on that six by six the whole time. Um, several years ago, when I very the first year I came to Iowa, I actually drew a non-resident tag, and then I moved here. And even though I became a resident prior to season, I had drawn a non-resident tag, so I I really was I I was. 
I was kind of stuck to using one my one non-resident tag because I had put in for that tag before I ever knew I was going to move here. So then once I drew the tag and I was here, um, I ended up kind of picking one deer that I really wanted. And it was a, I'm trying to think what I called that deer. Well, whatever it was, um, that buck was, he, he was actually identical to one of the bucks that's in the other room. Um, the real big, wide, tall one. Mm-hmm. Um, I called it the hamburger the hamburger bag buck, I think, because I had hunted the whole year. I had passed up a lot of really nice deer, deer that if I was hunting with someone else, like it wouldn't even have been a question. It would have, I would have definitely shot a a lot of these deer. And I ended up thinking that, um, the deer that I was after is the one that I shot. But once I got up to it, And I shot him on a real rainy day. I think it was like, it was the third or third week of November. Super rainy day. A a bunch of does came through and then he came through behind and I grunted at him about four times. And he like, he just, his ears turned to me. I knew that he had heard it, but he was just in that zombie walk and he just kept going. And I was like, oh, you know, a lot of times they don't, when they don't respond, they just don't respond. I could see he had heard me, but he just didn't care. And he got all the way to the far end of this field. And then all of a sudden he stopped and he like picked his head up. And it's almost like he had been thinking about it for like 20 seconds. And then he's like, you know what? I'm not going to take that. And he turned around and bristled up and then came all the way back and I shot him. I called him the hamburger bag buck because um, I had a bag of hamburger buns. Um, The bag itself is all I had in my backpack, and I think I'd put, like, my lunch in it earlier in the season. And I was out, and it started raining really bad. So I was worried about – I was like, I either have to leave or I have to figure something out because my camera was going to get wet. So I'm like digging around in my pack and I pulled out this like hostess hamburger bag pack that Sharon had made my lunch in and I pulled it around the camera and I had some <laughs> some tape and I taped it around the lens. So that's what I filmed with like you can hear like the rain splatting on the bag and everything in the in the hunt, but I thought that was that deer. Um and it that was it was super rewarding because it was you know, at that point, I'd done 24 days times 13 hours a day. Yeah. Know? So I don't know it, how you do it. It was um, it was super rewarding, but I can tell you, it's really fun to like go down and hunt with you and Eric or whatever. And I don't know the deer. I don't have any like connection with them. And I just go out and it's like, dude, I shot this cool buck and I have no, you know, and actually the really big one that I shot last year, I still don't know where that deer came from. I only had one picture of it that I actually got a picture on one of my cameras, um, a few days before I shot him. But I don't know where that deer lived during the summer. I don't know where that deer lived for the first four years of his life. All I know is all of a sudden I, sh- you know, I see this deer and I shoot it and it was, it was super cool because of the fact I knew nothing about it. And I actually told my buddy, I said, it's as much as I love trail cameras and I think they're, 
you know, trail cameras is why I killed the big six by six this year. My stealth cams are out, and I got one picture of that deer, and I kind of saw what direction he was going. So then the next time I did some mowing, I put out another camera, and I actually slowly moved my cameras until I saw where he was coming in and out almost every few days. Was he still in summer pattern then? He was in. He was in a. He was in a pattern, but he wasn't in a day walking pattern for the first. Um, it, well, I got one picture of him twenty minutes before dark. Um, two days before I shot him, I went and I was. I was actually mowing. Um, a lot of times, I'll try to do some mowing, or I'll try to you know. I'll try to do something that's normal farming type practice on any of my farms. And I checked the card and I got one picture of him and I sent it to my buddy Waylon and I said, dude, I got a daytime picture of him. And he's like, well, if he's a day walker, then you better, you better get in there. And I said, yeah. So I, I actually that day called my other buddy um, Tim Collins, because I knew the only tree I could get in, I needed a 22 foot ladder stand. So I called him. I said, "Are you in? Are you in town?" And he said, "Yeah." And I said, "Go by Bass Pro Shop. I don't care what brand it is, whatever. Find me a ladder that's at least 20 foot high." And I said, "Just buy two of them," because I said I may have to use like extra rails. Yeah. So he bought it, and I literally hung it that same day it was a super windy day and that's another um important thing i really like to pick like foul weather days where movement will probably be limited for me to ever like check cards or do my work and that's what i did i went in hung that stand and then literally left there and as soon as i had the right wind um which it was still early i think i shot him on the 22nd or 24th something like that of october um, so we had the right wind and my camera guy, uh, Morty was here with me and I just told him, I said, either, I'm either gonna, I'm either gonna wreck this deer for the rest of the season <laughs> or I'm going to kill him tonight because when you have a real mature deer that's coming, you know, he was coming to standing corn and he was coming from a bedding area that I don't think was very far away. If you don't see him during daylight, and especially a deer that has a pattern like that, then he's not far behind daylight. So, if you, if he's if he's in a staging area that's a hundred yards away, and then you have to get down out of your tree and walk out, and you got fresh scent like literally right there where he's traveling, I just think your gigs up on a mature deer. But you know it, it worked out for me but i could have just as easily boogered it up but the main thing was the wind was right so I, you know i didn't go in there i didn't rush in there and do it until the wind was favorable but you know having a place where you just go and you don't you know it's not like you know much of what's going on it's it's funner i had a Trying but, to think. Yeah, we didn't have any pressure. I didn't have any pressure at all. That's what was kind of fun. And there were so many mature bucks that it was more of a matter of waiting for the mature buck with what were you looking for? Big eights I saw, I saw tens, you know, it just was a matter of the right the right animal. Oh, I was talking with um I actually was 
too well it's really it's surreal um it's surreal about our election yeah um it's surreal about the election i know probably every podcast is talking about the election but strange enough um and i i normally don't talk much about some of my friends that i have like private and personal friendships with especially if they're like you know celebrity kind of type people but um you know the trumps have been really really good to sharon and i and um we met don jr way before he kind of broke into the whole you know before he was able to really talk about the fact that he was an outdoorsman because politically you know he always got hounded so hard by by people that you know mainly the executive type people but once the his dad you know ran for president um he was he kind of told don he said you know you need to you need to come out let people know that you're a sportsman and talk about what you, what you're passionate about cuz he said those that's such a pivotal um part of our of our election process which it was i um and a couple days it was two days before the before we voted i was actually in a tree stand and don texted me and said um hey where are you and i said well still daylight out i'm in a tree (laughs) and he said he said i'm on a plane flying to des moines and he said um do you think you do you want to meet me for for dinner so i said heck yeah dude and he said okay he goes he said i'm gonna do like a kind of a last minute talk at bass pro shop do you if do you want to come and i just said yeah no problem i'll put out a text that i'll be there and stuff or put out a tweet or something that i'll be there with you so i got down sharon and i went and we we went to dinner with don and man did he poor guy he is he was grinding he i told him like dude you have to take some time for yourself when this is done because you you look so worn out i think he said he had done seven stops that day but i think that was a pivotal part of the election as how hard the whole family worked but um he was telling me about a place that he hunts and i'll tell you guys this is how don jr is a hardcore hunter he's Honestly, I've been at a lot of camps where there's very few people that grind mm-hmm. with the hours that I do. And I'm not saying that because I want to like puff myself up. I'm saying it because I want I want to stand and tell you that Don is the real deal and he's going to fight for sportsmen no question, but um we were at a, we were actually at a Boone and Crockett um convention we have an annual meeting every year a big one for the members and um don was there and he told me said man i got a place where i can where i can do some deer hunting and i he he said my meetings because we we're on committees so um we have different meetings at different times so his committee meetings were after 12 o'clock like some meet in the morning and then some of ours meet in the afternoon so Don was getting up at, I think, 2 or 3 a.m. He drove two hours. He drove from San Antonio all the way to South Texas. And he would hunt for two to 
I think two or three hours in the morning, and then drive all the way back and then change. He did that three days in a row. <laughs> he drove four hours a day for three days, but he ended up shooting a really, really good buck. But he told me that um, this is like a long way to get around your story. But he said, I said, man, that place seemed like he shot a really good deer. And he goes, it was really awesome. He said, and it is awesome. But he said, the problem is the people that manage it, he said, you have to like, and it was a low fence. It wasn't a high fence operation. It was a low fence deal. But he said um, that you have to literally, when you see deer, you have to like either text in and totally describe the deer or try to like get a picture of the deer and then send it to the ranch manager and then they tell you whether or not they want that it's okay to shoot because he said they're they're so strict about seven or older seven years or older for their deer and he's like so like every he's like i'd see a good buck and i'm like trying to get a picture of it meanwhile it's like chasing does around and he and he said it was awesome but he said it was like mentally draining because he said you couldn't and he said that he said it's it's like it took the fun out of it because he goes i couldn't just I was excited to see a deer, and then it's anticlimactic because I was having to like send this picture in, see if this is a picture that this landowner actually wanted shot. And he's like, in a way, I was like cull hunting, but with trophy bucks, so to speak. He said it was. He said it was really strange. It like it took away from it. So I can feel for you, man. Just being able to come someplace. It's like that for me in, in Alberta. I go to Alberta and. If I see anything and it like appeals to me or the moment's cool, it's not like I have to worry about whether or not I can shoot it or should shoot it. It's just like, and I shoot a lot of scrubby bulls up there. I shoot a lot of raghorns, and I just love it. Well, I, if you watch your guys, if you watch shows enough, which, you know, this time of year for about the last month, it just seems like all those guys have forever to make a decision on an animal. And when I'm in the woods, it never feels like that. You know, when I'm in here... Yesterday in that buck, I rattled and rattled in an eight, then another eight, and then this one came in, and I got lucky because there was a doe behind me, and he had turned to go back down the hill, and he saw the doe, and I had a few seconds to kind of assess the whole situation. Okay, what trail is he a shooter? Is he mature? You know, take into account all that, laser him, get a yardage. Then he changes the move. He's chasing the doe around me. So there's a lot going on in a very split second to make decisions, and it's. In perception of what he is, I mean, when I when I let that release go, my new knock on that I love it. Uh, yeah, you you got your, you got a kill with <laughs> my knock, knock to it. it. Yeah, when you let that arrow go, I would have swore if you had said how big is he, he was one eighty. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> well, I'm looking at him, he just looked giant. And uh, he ended up. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm I'm grateful. He was like one fifty six and change, which is. Heck of a deer. Heck of a deer. You know, I'm ecstatic. Um, and so Second there's so much. Ever shot. Yeah, with my with my uh, archery equipment. Yeah, and I've been archery hunting what since '92, I think. But um, there's a lot that goes on, and it doesn't seem like it's that slow moving. Like when you watch TV, it doesn't. I mean, when I watch TV, I feel like I've got forever to go. Oh yeah, that's a mature animal. But in the real real deal, and you're not. You know, it's not your property. You don't know what's out there. It's not an animal I've ever seen before. It's it's a little different scenario. Well, there's a couple things that factor in there. One, 
some of the a lot of the especially the mainstream shows those places and it's not really my style to hunt with a lot of those people Mm -hmm. or those places and it's it's mainly because I still like going out and doing the type of thing that you're saying. I like to go out and be in where it's not totally groomed and tailored. Like when I hunted, um, well, one of the deer that's in my archery room, um, I shot on the Milk River, and I shot that buck for, um, it was supposed to be for Monster Bucks 10, but I shot it too far away, so build it and let it he didn't like how far the shot was <laughs> so it never made monster bucks 10 but um it was it it was like everything was set up so perfect like all the stands were set up to where they knew the deer were coming out here they were going to stop here there's like a lot of time to decide what was going on and uh, there was so much stuff that was really groomed and even um once you've done it a while and you pay attention, you can. If the deer are staying in one spot all the time, they're probably they're eating something. Mm-hmm. Whereas, um, I think a lot of people that just go and they hunt big timber, they're not they're not really doing that. Um, so it's a different, it's a whole different pace. But because of the nature of TV and they want footage, they want to get good solid footage of the deer they want to make sure they're steady they want to you know they want to be able to make a good shot on camera a lot of times those situations are they're set up yeah or i mean it's like a movie set is what it gotcha. is gotcha um which isn't necessarily a bad thing i mean you know we're we're eric hunts in kansas um he I th- there's like one tree I think there's one tree, literally one, that you could put a stand in, and he couldn't even get a stand in that without having the wrong wind all the time. So he had to take a bale blind, put a bale blind out, and he feeds. Um, and then the the deer actually have to come to a food source because there's it's endless acres of CRP. There's no trees. There's like it's just one of those deals where you you need to feed, and it's that way too. Like, water too. You know, I have guys that yeah, that water, bring water troughs. Yeah, because the you know the nearest water source is a couple miles away. My buddies do very well over water. Yeah. Well, I've said the three things. There's three things that that whitetail need, and if, as long as you can have one piece of that equation that either your neighbors don't have or that or an element that maybe your particular properties are missing and you can put it there then they'll stay there Mm -hmm. but it's water cover and food if you can have those three elements then your hunting is going to be a lot better and in my where i used to live in wisconsin i lived on 10 acres of land um i shot a a 130, a 140, and a 160 whitetail three years in a row. And all I, I had 10 acres of property. I had a two acre, I like mowed two acres and put clover there. But my big draw was it was real sandy soil. And I put in a big water tank and I killed um, a great deer over water because it was one part of the recipe that that um we didn't have and then the other year um i shot a deer on the clover because all my neighbors planted 
they all planted turnips and they all planted corn or beans. So I kind of looked at what all the people around me had and I figured, and I, and deer like variety. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, no one else has real lush red clover slash alfalfa. If I put that here at some point, the deer will browse here. Like during certain times of the year, they like different things. You know, once it freezes hard, they'll really hit um, like radishes and turnips hard. When the leaves are still real like palatable, they'll eat turnips too towards the beginning. But there's also a middle period where they really like um, they like like a buck forage oat or a winter rye. But then you know, like starting about this time of year, they love corn and beans. You know, picked corn. That's what this place had. It had the exactly what you're talking about. It had the draws, and then in the low, it, they'd put you on. You'd be on a, a turnip, or you'd be in beans, or you'd be in. They had standing corn. They were part of a CRP program for, it seemed like, bedding. It seemed like the bucks were coming up from the bottoms in the morning because they'd been chasing the does around in that grass. Mm -hmm. Um, But then in the evening, you'd be on peas or, or, I mean, beans or corn or uh, turnip or dakin radish patches. You know, the variety was just, I mean, it's easy to see why Iowa has big bucks um, with all the food they have and the cover and Obviously, the water and the CRP programs. It well, was and our amazing. limited gun hunting. Yeah, that's why it's such a bow hunter's paradise, so to speak. And it's not that way. And you know, I took some slack because I posted a picture of my my tags. I went to Walmart and got all my tags for Iowa. So, as a landowner, um, as a landowner, and as a resident, I got my buck and doe tags. I got my late season um, muzzleloader tag, which allows you to use your bow. Um, then I got my a landowner either sex tag, but then I also bought one extra doe tag because I really like to have you know I I like the deer that I put in the freezer that I actually cut into steaks and everything. It's always I always like. Um, kind of I don't want an old buck for that you know those are kind of the ones I get my deer sausage and summer sausage made out of but um then I've got two two turkey fall turkey tags I'm allowed and then I always buy a fur bearers tag as well so um that way I can shoot um with the fur bearer tag you know you're allowed coyotes or bobcats or like predators so I took slack because people in other parts of Iowa were like, well, that's why our deer numbers are so down. It's like, in my county, they gave out 40, it's either 42 or 4,600 antlerless tags. I got one extra one. So, you know, it's... Well, I I think, too, it depends how you look at that. Now that I know you and have known you for a while, I mean, I think you can look at that as, you know, you're a deer manager... You might not shoot all those. You're going to make an assessment, and you're going to see if if it's right on your property to be harvesting that animals more from a, a management perspective than I'm just going to go down because I have six tags and shoot all six. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know. So I think most people, not most, but some people go, I'm going to get all six, and I'm darn it, I'm going to shoot all six yeah. or whatever it may be. Where for you, it might be, hey, this year, based on my numbers, I'm going to take one mature buck, and I'm going to take. For mature does. So I think 
there's a couple of different views of how you see that. And that, that's how I would see how you assess it. I don't look at like, you know, he's abusing everything. <laughs> You're more of a manager. Yeah. Well, the other thing too is some of the places where I have permission to hunt, you know, and I got, a, I've getting, I've gotten a lot of questions lately from people that are brand new to hunting. They're like, we just bought our bow. Um, we're new to bow hunting. Where do we start? I started, I started by knocking on doors, just dry, you know, you can start on public land. A great place to start is to ask your local game warden. Just call them and say, I'm brand new to bow hunting. I want a spot to go. Where do you think is a good spot for me to try? Most game wardens are, are going to help you go in the right direction. Um, and that from there, if you move on from public land, you know, I've got spots where I just knocked on doors. Mm-hmm. I got permission. I help those farmers. Um, I'll help them with their mowing. Um, a, a really good investment I made was a tractor and a and a and a big cut, you know mower for behind it because. I have permission on a lot of farms just because I've went to people and they're like big CRP. I know they're in CRP programs. And a big thing that you have to do if you're in a CRP practice is you have to mow fire lanes. So you have to like mow the perimeter Um, at the end of the year. You know, after the nesting season for birds, you have to mow your perimeter. That way it'll grow up green and it's kind of a a fire preventive. Um, You know, they're fire breaks are called. So I actually go to farmers and I'll say, hey, you know, I know you got a lot of ground in CRP. I'd love to be able to hunt some of those draws. You know, how about if I, I'll do all your fall mowing? And they're just like, yeah, sounds great. So some of the places I've got permission on is just for me doing a little bit of elbow grease. Um, But I will say some of the farmers are adamant about, I want you to shoot a doe. You can go and hunt bucks, but... You know, because a lot of these people have crop damage. You know, these there's there's too many deer in some of these areas that have, if they have water and they have food and they have cover, there's also a lot of crop damage because of the amount of numbers. So I have to, on some of the places I go, if I shoot a buck, I have to take a doe. And and a lot of times, um, this this is also important too. If you're new into hunting, you're trying to get permission someplace. I always offer the landowner a fully processed, you know, I'll like say, I'll, sh- you know, I'll come out and I'll show them that I shot a doe and I'll say, you know, thanks for letting me hunt again. Um, you know, it's a really nice doe. I'd, I'd love to process this for you and, and bring it back for you guys. And a lot of times they'll take it and they'll be super thankful and happy about it. And sometimes they don't, um, but they definitely are appreciative of it. Small little things like that is what keeps you able to hunt private ground. And it's getting harder and harder to hunt private ground. Um, just the fact that you asking and you being there, the likelihood of that being enough anymore is pretty much those days are kind of gone. You got to be able to build a relationship with that farmer and and help him with things that he's not able to have time for. If you can do that, you're going to get permission on much better private ground than if you just expect someone to let you totally have 
control their place for nothing, you know what I mean? Yeah, that happened to me in Kansas. The only reason I got an opportunity is the guy leasing the land before me left some blinds out, and I got caught in one of his combines. You know, the snow hit him and collapsed him, and he couldn't see him when he was processing or doing some field work, and the blind got caught in there, and he was livid. Because, you know, he's got to shut down the machine, get all the wiring. It took him forever to clean it all out. And he he was obviously very adamant that if I can get my stands down, get my uh, blinds down, keep the area very clean, that we would have a good relationship. And and so it's just little things like that that you you got to be aware of and and stay out of their way. And it can be a good relationship. Like you said, offer them deer. I have a buddy that brings him Christmas, you know, stuff at Christmas. Oh, I always and do just, Christmas gifts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christmas gifts are a big one. And they don't have to be big parcels. I think um, I've I've known people that do well on 50 or 80 acres as long as it's in the right spot. With Google Earth, you can go on Google Earth, kind of see where they are, get a feel for them, and, and, uh, and stuff like that. So I think sometimes you perceive it needs to be a huge parcel, and that's just not true either. I don't no, think. My, my ground in Wisconsin was 10 acres, and I like I said, I shot deer on there every year and then before i owned that 10 i owned a three acre piece i found you know i'd i'd won a um a 3d tournament got a check for like 10 grand or something you know this is like late 90s and you know my dad told me he's like don't go out and buy a bass boat or something stupid you better you know so i i found i was driving down the road and i saw this for sale sign it was literally three acres 3.1 acres so I called them and it was like fifteen grand or something. It was kind of just a bunch of scrubby brush. It was, it was actually right on the edge of this public ground that was this big creek system. But I'm just like, well, it's an investment, you know. Maybe someone can put a house here one day. So I just went and kind of signed my check over and bought that piece. And then later on that year, I'm like, I need to go in there and see if there's any like trails. I went in there and then it was just like. A total little travel corridor mm-hmm. that was right off the road, and I ended up there was um, there was like two trees in there. I put a stand in a tree, and I ended up killing a really good buck off that property. So the main thing is when you have a small piece like that, um, and yeah, don't drive by those like here in Iowa this time of year. <clears throat> these places that have just tons of CRP, but one little bitty creek that goes through there, and there's only a few trees. Those can be awesome places. You're going to have to put in time, but those can be great places during this time of year. And the key is to know when it's good. If you know that, it, I mean, that's not going to be an area that you need to hit hard during the early season unless yeah. there's like food right on it. But if it's just one of those creeks or like, you know, draws that kind of connect a big timber to a small timber, save it for this time of year and get in there and this is the time of year when these bucks are moving they're covering a lot of ground that's when they're going to be in here when you were talking about something that got people kicked off a property um i actually made a mistake one time and i it was minor but it was a mistake almost cost me um the only place i had to hunt in wisconsin at the time um, I was in my stand and a coyote came out at the far end of this food plot and I shot I shot at it I missed it um, and my arrow you know went over there well then that evening the deer started coming out in the field and the deer came out and it got dark 
and I didn't want to like the deer were still out in the field I kind of eased down and I thought well I'm going to come back tomorrow morning and find that arrow so I didn't look for the arrow the next morning at my 10 o'clock lunch or my 10 o'clock break I punched out and I went to over to find that arrow and I parked and as I parked the farmer comes like pulling out of his driveway and drives down and he literally holds out his hand and he goes is this yours and it was like the back end of my fletching all chopped up in like two pieces of the arrow and I'm like yeah what's what's that and he goes I did I green chopped this morning he said I this he said I found this in the cow trough he's like what was on the other end of this arrow he's like do I need to worry about a cow like eating a razor blade or something and I was just like oh my god and I kind of looked back there and he did green chopping so you know he'd only make like one pass and then that would be enough to feed for the day and it was like the one pass where my arrow happened to be you know it was like Murphy's Law yeah but the the thing the point is the small little stupid thing like that or someone getting um, an arrow in their tractor tire and having to buy a $400 tire and ruin their whole day at working that's going to get you kicked off so um, and I actually just filmed um, last week I filmed like five reasons why I like nocturnal knocks and I like did little videos of the different reasons why and I'm putting those on my knock on archery YouTube page today by the way um, but one of them is finding your arrow. I love a lighted knock because if you miss a deer or you miss a target or any, like there's been times where I forget to set my sight and I miss a target in the backyard and I cannot find that arrow. I just wait for it to be pitch black and I'll go out there in the dark and I can find it like buried under the grass because of the lighted knock. Well, when I shot this buck light yesterday, that lighted knock was huge because um, I was able to see, watch him, and he bedded down about 80 yards in front of me and never got up again. But that light had knocked in that dark timber. It was no problem glassing him and watching him. I watched him for an hour and a half. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's huge. Well, let's, um, we're running a little bit low on time. There was a couple things. One, earlier when we were talking about the TPC packs, by the way, um, I remember this because I actually have the empty pack in front of me. So, um, on it it's an awesome company and they make the best by far the best supplements and things like that um, I went down there for the on it Academy to learn some kettlebell stuff and um, so the TPC packs it's a total primate care pack is what they call and they have like um, they have 15 or 30 day supplies and there's a pack for day pack which is in the morning and it pretty much has one of each kind of their different pills like this will have um, an alpha brain in it it'll have I'm not sure what all this one has it's got I think it's got some krill oil in it it's got an alpha brain it's got a shroom tech um, it's got like your daily greens there's a whole bunch of things in here but these is what I lived off of on my for like my elk pack. I had mm -hmm. two of these in my pack for every morning, every evening. I wish when I competed I had these things. Like when you're on the road all the time because they're so easy to travel with and you know these little packs and then you pretty much have and a you have your daily vitamins it's almost times 5. Like if I feel like I can almost survive off them, but they're awesome. 
And then um, I got you hooked on the Alpha Brain too. Yeah, yeah. Stuff so yeah. good. Yeah. But by the way, um, there's on it has given me um, for the knock on listeners. You can use promo code knock on, and you can get ten um, percent off any of your orders. By the way. Um, I've been doing a lot of posting about on it since I since I tried it myself and I'm totally sold on it and and I talked with you about it too got got you on it Preston's on it Gudge is on it now all you guys are saying the same thing you guys love it but um, yeah they kind of reached out and said um, is that your alarm in the other yeah. room <laughs> yeah they so they gave us a promo code. N O C K O N. So if you place an order for any supplements, you can get ten percent off, which is pretty cool. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to talk about when when EJ comes back in the room, and by the way, that was his um, that was his four forty five a.m. alarm. So th- we didn't really go into detail about why i let you kind of wake up i i literally knocked i went i got up in the morning made my cup of coffee um and i went and got in the hot tub which is what i do i'll get up at 3 a.m i'll have a coffee get in the hot tub then i'll stretch i really like to do like a little 15 minute stretch um in the morning just really helps me kind of get ready for the day and loosen up and then um i'll have like my my, my day pack in the morning, I'll normally have that with my cup of coffee and then um, I'll do my work and then in about 15 by 5, 10 a.m. I'm on my way to being a tree for the whole day. Um, so I knocked on, I didn't ask you last night, but this morning I was, I kind of thought, you know what, we got an hour. So I knocked on his door. <laughs> and I was I was in a nice spot mentally too because that bed compared to what I've been sleeping in, that bed, I didn't want to get out. I was going to stay till noon. That's hilarious. I was comfortable, dreaming, sleeping great. Knock knock 345. Jeez. But well, they were fine. Yeah, we got a podcast out of it. Hey, and, and you want... forget you neglected to tell right before I went on my hunt, I came by to visit you before and you changed you were suggesting shooting changes. To my technique right before I'm going on one of the biggest hunts of my I life. I didn't suggest it. I said you I'm told not... me probably to do it, but I uh, I couldn't integrate it yet. Like I told you, and I, I I need a little bit of time. Yeah, for sure. I, EJ has he he um, switch releases, so he's like a lot of people. He has to make um, he has some minor form adjustments. Which I would will, say my anchor point's too low. Would you? How, how would you yep, say that? Yep. Too much arrow contact to my face. Too much string contact to my face. Yeah. So um, EJ's like a lot of people. If they anchor slightly low, that arrow shaft comes down lower on the chin, and it kind of it kind of sits in a troublesome area. It's kind of a red zone. There's a lot of possibility for error down there. Um, so we ha- we need to make a little bit of adjustment to bring your anchor position up a little bit more, which will help you. It'll actually help your draw link situation because when, when you bring your anchor up, the whole triangle of the bow at full draw comes up as well. So the string's going to be touching your nose a lot sooner. So you're not having to like, you know, when you're down here, you got to go further forward to the string tip. You know, you have to tip your head almost to get there or you have to have the, the draw length too far 
And once you bring up, you realize, you know, it's like too far back on the face. So there's a few little minor. Um, I was wondering that, you know, the whole week being anal about, you know, I, I try to be ridiculously um, concerned with elements that I can take care of pre, you know, like in golf, a setup or what I, and I feel like there's certain things I could take care of before I actually draw the bow. Would a kisser, I've never used one. Would that help in training and learning where you want me to put that? I've been thinking about it all week or it, not really. Well, it could help, it could help you in knowing where like, cause obviously you draw and the kisser would be too low. The problem yeah. is most people, if it's your anchor, that's an issue. Like once you're anchoring properly and once you learn to draw an anchor first, then adjust your nose to touch the tip of the string, you'll find that you don't need a kisser button and a kisser button. It's almost like a band aid people will pull the kisser button to their face first and then their anchor or their head position will be different. Gotcha. And kisser buttons are good for a fixed position. Once you're, if you want to ever get in the habit of shooting like 20 to a hundred yards, the problem is, you know, you're having a look, your sight is moving down. So you're having, you know, as your sight moves lower on your bar, you know, you're having to adjust your head so that you can look through your peep and then down to that site that's a lot lower in elevation same thing if it's really high like if you like to shoot long distances most a lot of times your peep will be in a little bit lower position um, just because your scales all your sights always at the bottom of the scale and then you have to kind of adjust your head so you can look up when you're shooting really short with that kisser button it makes it harder to be able to shoot from a short all the way to a long distance because you're in one fixed position and with the amount of distance you have to move your sight from top to bottom to cover from like 20 to 100 yards there is a difference in how you anchor like for me if i'm shooting 100 yards but my peep my peep height is set to be most comfortable at like 20 and 30 i feel like my anchor is almost floating a little bit so that i can look through that peep it's not as into the you know it's not dug in near as deep as the shorter distances and if you have the kisser button, you kind of miss that stuff. Um, so, I think so that ki- wouldn't be a, that wouldn't help me for what my issues are. I guess so. If it, I was to go home and a, try to be better next time I see you, where you can say, "Yeah, I can see you've worked on it; it's improved." That wouldn't that wouldn't be a step. No, okay. I think um, I think having a piece of string where you pull back and you get and just pull back and you get used to that anchor being higher on your face. I think that's a really good start. Um, but yeah, you you knew that you made some changes, and you actually said, "Well, should I change now?" And I, I said, "No, you're going on a hunt. You need to do it later." But being a perfectionist, I mean, that's well, that's, 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 that's yeah. <laughs> but you threw the blame on me. You're the perfectionist. You said, "Well, I know I need to change this now. It's going to bother me." And I said, "Well, yeah, but I it's I would never go to a tournament unless I was trying to throw some mind voodoo on someone. I would never." go to a tournament and tell someone if they said hey can you check out my form i wouldn't say oh dude that's super wrong you know you definitely got to move this and that i mean i wouldn't even say oh hey you know try pulling this up here we're gonna have to lower your peep because they're gonna shoot like crap there i would be more likely to say um hey why don't you know why don't we talk when this is over with and and um and then i can look at it a little better I know already what I want to do, but I'm not going to tell them to do it right before they compete, you know, unless it, you know, if it was, like I said, if it was a competitor that I wasn't 
particularly friendly with that I wanted to throw some mind voodoo on them if they said like, you know, I don't know, I've been struggling with this bow. Like if they give me that open door of opportunity, yeah. then yeah. obviously I'm going to say, yeah, dude, it, it definitely looks like it's not fitting you properly. And then, you know, if they're if they're um, vulnerable to Jedi mind tricks, they'll, <laughs> they'll then say, oh, really? Why? What do you see? And then it's like, okay. Hooked. <laughs> <laughs> then you're in the never place of you know no win situation because yeah. you're gonna still resort back on something that quick for me with me going on that hunt the next day i'm still gonna go to survival mode i'm gonna go to what my body's comfortable with so Did there you, was no way i was gonna integrate it anyways even though i was aware of it and thinking about it well we're really low on time but i wanted was there anything we could touch on super quick about like dealing with buck fever because um, I know there's probably a lot of listeners that are like, how do I, you know, actually, um, Craig. Yeah. So Craig missed the biggest buck of his life two nights ago at oh, 15 no. yards. Came out and it came in. He had a doe in front of him. The buck came all the way to him. He was like totally ready for the shot. And the buck came in really fast and like the doe didn't stand her ground. So the buck never stopped. So he kind of just, the buck was going by and he was at full draw. He couldn't get him to stop. So then he had to sit there while that buck chased that doe around his tree for like, he said it was like 15 minutes that it was just, he could not get a shot. And he said like the longer it was going, he thinks he was just like, you know, he was almost like getting flustered. And then it finally gave him a shot at 15 yards and he shot over its back. And he's like so sick. He goes, he goes, I just totally screwed up he's like it's my fault he's like i'm sick about it i don't he's like at least i missed it but he's like how do i miss at 50 he goes i can hit he's like that's like missing a full block target he's like i'd never miss a block target at 15 yards he's like i can almost shoot it without sight and it just comes down to when you're in that moment and actually he told me he said he goes john he goes i honestly think I was still looking at, like, I was looking through my peep, and I was anchored, but he said, I actually think I was looking at the deer's rack. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about this, too. When we talked last time, how you could equate it, because in golf, we have practice rounds, and you can play for enough money to get your, to, to almost create a tournament. I mean, you can get playing for a lot of money, and that helps just continue to, to run your process keep you in the moment because if you get out you know you're going to miss a putt or you're going to hit a bad shot and it's going to cost you dearly yeah but in the deer woods you it's very difficult to recreate that um that that rush you know i've tried to shoot i mean shooting around you makes me nervous which was good with joe rogan there it made me a little nervous but i liked it yeah because i knew that same stuff was going to happen when i was in that deer stand and the deer came by so from the perspective of golf, we can, we can, and I guess you could do it archery. We could have shoots, you know, $100 arrow shots and stuff that would get your blood flowing and get your attention and stuff. But I don't know how you guys recreate. I had a $10,000 arrow shot one time. <laughs> well, that would get your attention. So On a side bet. <laughs> but like the amateur and the people out there, listen, I mean, I don't know. Can Like I know that I start from the bottom when an animal comes in. I know first I'm always working on my footwork. Each stand I was in was a little different. Some were a little tight. I'm not a small guy. And the step platform that I was on, when I got up there and got situated, I was working on footwork. I was trying to recreate it, what, where he might come from. Can I turn? 
you know, is the back behind me good? Do I have shooting lanes? And then I would get my bow in my hand and I would try to create it. And I start at full draw once I get, I start from the bottom of the animal and work up. I don't know I, if that's well, ideal. And so I try to think about all those of how I'm going to do it so that when he comes in, I've already played the tape. Yep. Yeah, that's really important. Sharon is, for her, she really has to do that. She Like when we get in a stand, because if she doesn't, it really weirds her out pulling back on something for the first time so whenever Sharon gets in the stand she literally says well where do you think my shot's gonna be and well it's gonna be over here over here so she like turns her feet kind of whittles around she'll draw and then she'll like see where her safety belt's like hanging like if she doesn't like how it is she'll know like she needs like she's like can you move that up higher or that's in the way of my elbow or give me more slack and then she'll like move around and she, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, you could shoot over here. So she likes to know that she has to, like, stand up, pull her seat up, turn to the side, and then do it. And I know when, um, you know, this was Joe's first whitetail buck that he shot with his bow. And when we were in the stands, we talked about there was a lot of, you know, he was pretty green. He, there was a lot that he learned. And there was... You know, th- there was a few times where he just turned around to me and he's like, you know, I get it. Like, I get, he goes, I totally get it why you use multi-pin sights. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, because he's like, there were situations where he was like trying to range and move this pin and range and then still get his self-position for where the deer was at. But then all of a sudden by the time he did that, it was already in a new spot because it's not like they're in that fixed scenario just feeding yeah. in one spot yep. and I told him I'm like dude have the dial loose on your sight I'm going to range the deer you just have your hand on the dial and move your pin to the yardage and pull back and you're going to have to make your shot like during those that brief point of time where you've got the shot opportunity and after the first day he realized like he's like man I felt really twisted and I said, yeah, you have to be assessing if the deer's there, but he's coming this way, you should immediately think, where are my shot? Where are my shooting lanes? If that's your shooting lane, that's your shooting lane, you need to be pulled back before that deer gets in those shooting lanes. You have to be waiting on him in those shooting lanes, but you also have to have your feet oriented to where you can be in proper form when it comes to that spot. What about limits too, John? For me, when I laser, when I laser at first light, if I'm in a new area, I try to find 20s and 30s because I would say for me, my safety blanket, not that I don't practice my tail off further, but on tree stands, sharp ridge, you know, where it's down, it was steep where some of the places. So I felt for sure my limit was going to be 30. I wasn't going to. So I had a lot of comfortable yardages in the 20 to 30 around me in a a semicircle that I was comfortable with shooting. Not to say if the situation wasn't perfect and he was on the ridge, you know, silhouette and behind me, I wouldn't try to take one at 40 if the light and all that was good. But I just kind of my limit was 20 to 30 for the situations I was in, which to me takes a lot of pressure off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I hunt in certain areas where... And I took, like, when I first started hunting with Sharon, I would only take her to stands where it's, like, 25-yard or less yeah. shot. It's you know, Because there's nothing more frustrating than 
one, there's nothing more frustrating than tracking an animal that you're not going to find. That's probably the most frustrating. But putting yourself in a situation where you're tempted to make a shot that's further than what you want, that's all. That's equally frustrating. So if you know your limitations and you're in a really – and sometimes I can play in your favor because – I find that the biggest deer right now, they're in the thickets. They're in those thick spots. And sometimes in those thick spots, you only have 20 and 25 yard shots. And that's actually limiting your opportunity of error. It's Mm -hmm. not necessarily a bad thing. You're probably going to see a much bigger deer and you're way less likely to miss at that shorter distance than a longer distance. But I think getting in the stand, going through that routine, um, Prior to that, why I started shooting competitive archery was because shooting for money, shooting for tournaments, and shooting for something at risk put me in the buck fever mindset. It put me in that situation. And it's, you know, I don't know if there's a term for it. I would call it acclimation. The longer, you know, it's kind of like you get get in a... um, you get in a hot tub at first it's hot but then after a while it's not you know you feel like you're used to it you know same thing if it's cold if you put yourself in these situations where you get nervous you get you know just like when you pulled your bow out and you first shot around me or rogan you felt nervous if we shot together for three days you're not going to feel that way you're going to get used to it and you know it's going to I'm going to become another one of the guys that you're just shooting with and you're going to know you're going to know that the pressure that you feel felt is self-induced it's not like I'm putting pressure on you to shoot good I mean that's not my nature but you would eventually realize well wait a minute what do I have to be nervous about these guys miss sometimes these guys you know it's not like they're sitting there gawking at me but it would take acclimation for you to realize that that pressure was more self-induced than actually, you know, exteriorly applied on you. And I don't think most people understand that. I mean, pressure is something you, you create in your own. And we're, and we're, you know, I tell my son all the time, people tell you, they almost look upon pressure as a negative. Yeah. And it's really not. It's increased awareness. So when I, when I say nervous, it makes me more self-conscious about... Does he like my head? Am I stacked? Or do I have the perfect tee? Is my head not leaning too far forward? You know, <laughs> and I got Rogan telling me that I'm arching my back. So now I'm like, geez, now. So it just made me more aware of everything going on. I don't think pre- I don't think that that's bad. Like I said, I have I have no problem with it. It just um, what I what I do notice is I got to monitor my breathing because I'll I'll come to full draw, and and I'll hold my breath too long, and you can't do that. You know, yeah, so yep. I had an eight point coming yesterday. I was at full draw and he was there and I had to remind myself to breathe. I had to hold, hold, hold. I wasn't going to shoot him, but I was just kind of rehearsing, which I think is another good thing. You know, if a spike or something comes by that you're probably not going to shoot, why wouldn't you rehearse? Why wouldn't you get your feet set? Why wouldn't you draw on him when the situation's right? Even though you have no intent in shooting him. And I didn't, like I said, and I monitored my breathing. And so... I felt like that was a good learning experience. Yeah. Just to rehearse well, just in the tree. Care- yeah, just be careful. If you're rehearsing too much and you end up getting busted, then you're going to somewhat ruin your spot. So there's a fine line there between. But going through it in your mind and kind of getting yourself positioned and maybe pretending like you're going to draw your bow and then all of a sudden be like, okay, yep, that deer, that's checkmate. That'd be a done deal. 
Well, I'm gonna have to wrap this up, dude. I'm seven minutes behind schedule, and I got a I got a mile and a half bike to do this morning. To get I got a seven and a half hour drive. I would rather. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say I'd rather drive. I would totally not rather drive. Not this time of year. No, I'll well, trade you. I didn't give you. So, for those of you listening who haven't listened to a previous podcast, EJ is. Um, do you do you feel comfortable saying your do you want to say your background, or do you want me to kind of hack through it? Well, it's just, uh, I mean, I was rid, uh, my dad was a golf professional in Buffalo, New York. Um, I was raised, the school bus dropped me off at the golf course. It's the only place I ever wanted to be. It was my happy place. I love competition, and I loved individual sports, and, and golf just happened to be something I excelled at. Ended up being able to go to Oklahoma State University uh, and play for fantastic coach there, Mike Holder, who's legendary for people that understand the coaching world and so I was able to be around great players great coaching and played professionally for 13 years we won two national championships yeah we uh <laughs> we uh it was individual and teams in so our don't team that out. my freshman year we finished second my sophomore year we finished second my junior year we finished first and then my senior year I finished we finished second and then individuals my sophomore year Verplank won the individual then my other roommate Brian Watts won our junior year and then I won our senior year so we had three <laughs> individual winners in a row and then so it was he had some it serious was competition too and more than anything why. it's opened the doors for meeting people you know golf is a you know people well, you played on the PGA tour yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> you, I use that you've been, to, a, you've been a you've been a golf magazine top coach for top 100 ten, for 10 years yeah, something like that. Okay, yeah. so that's EJ, by the way, people. So I'm <laughs> kind of sitting here with um, he's a he's a golf guru, and I'm afraid to even show him my swing. <laughs> I sent you the video. See, I know I feel about my archery. Yeah, it's one see? of the same. It's going to be a good relationship, I think. <laughs> I'll help your golf. You help my archery. All right, sounds good. <laughs> well, I've got to check out everybody. Appreciate you. Um, hopefully for all my truckers driving on the Friday, um, all my buddies sitting in a tree stand with an earbud in, hopefully this helped you get by another hour. Um, Hey, I just found out there's 15 silverbacks left. That's it. Holy smokes. Have they gone fast? 15 silverbacks, knock on archery.com. Oh, we got two new shirts too. If you're listening and you're not like on social media, there's two new shirts that are super awesome. The one I'm not right now. I'm wearing the. It's good looking. Train hunt eat one. That's really cool. With like the recycle, like looks like broadheads and the recycle signs. Really cool. And then um, I did one. Do you even podcast, bro? Knock on one. I figured I would do that for all the podcast listeners and supporters. Thank you all. You guys make this happen. Um, appreciate it, EJ. You want to say anything? Before? No, thank you. Good luck to everyone. It's an exciting time to be in the woods and, and enjoy all the – take it all in because it's it's a good learning experience, and I'm jealous because right. I'm done. Well, you jump in the shower, clean the crust out of your eyes. <laughs> I'm going to go bike a mile and a half and get in a tree stand. So well, thanks, thanks everybody. Me. Talk at you later. Knock on. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing knockonarchery.com